Father, what a blessing when we no longer have to strive, that we can simply rest and wait on you. Knowing, Lord, that you have given us your spirit, and that as your spirit dwells within us, it's just this concrete evidence that we belong to you. Not as your spirit is, but you will guide us, you will lead us. And we recognize, Lord, that there is a ministry. And within that ministry, whatever it is that you've called us to do, that we of ourselves are absolutely and totally incapable of living up to anything that you would have for us. But yet with the Spirit, with the Spirit there is power, with the Spirit there is knowledge, with the Spirit there is understanding. With the Spirit, Lord, there is a confidence. There is a confidence that as we move forward in the things that we are not going in our own power, we're going in your power. And that as we have seen, as we continue to see, Lord, there, there's no problem you can't fix. There's no situation you won't provide for. That is who you are. And Father, we, we understand that, that God, you're, you're leading and you're guiding. Help us to trust in that. Help us to not doubt your words, not doubt your plan, not doubt that leading of your spirit, that we would walk in confidence and faith. So knit us to this heart, knit us to this understanding, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Saints, if you would, please open your Bibles to the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel. And this evening, we've made our way all the way to chapter 10, so we're in chapter 10 tonight. Now, last week, as we were going through chapter 9, we had understood that we were looking at an introduction to the man. Israel has wanted a king. And so we see the man that the people of Israel will choose. And so as we saw that introduction to the man, and I just want to give you just one verse to kind of note what it is that we're seeing here in this person, Saul. In 1 Samuel chapter 12, we begin to see here that in verse 13 it says, Now... Therefore, here is the king whom you have chosen. Understand, it's not a capital U. This is the king that the people would want. It's one that was in their heart whom you have desired. And take note, the Lord has set a king over you. As we see this man the people wanted, as we see him, last week we dealt with those areas of the lower plane. We dealt with the physical we understood that, that, that Saul here would be the physical leader over God's people. Remember, we were in chapter 9, verse 20. Samuel would make this statement, On whom is all the desire of Israel? It is not on you and on all your father's house. You are the one that we're looking for. You are the one that Israel desires. You are the one that's head and shoulders above everybody else. And so we were seeing that it was there in the physical. And there along with the physical, remember when we got back to that portion in verses 23 and verse 24 of chapter 9, that we began to see that, that Samuel said, I want you to bring out this portion that I gave to you to set aside and then the cook brings up this thigh, which was the upper part, and set it before Saul. And he gets what is known as that kingly portion. And so where Samuel goes and he says in verse 24, here it is, that which was kept back and set apart for you. For until this time it has been kept for you since I invited the people. So Saul ate with Samuel. And we notice that everything that's happening initially as we see the introduction to the man is on this lower plane on the physical. And immediately we're going to see a shift. Once you move from chapter 9 into chapter 10, you're moving from the introduction to the man to the introduction to the ministry. What it is that he will be called to do. Now keep in mind that most of us have this understanding and it's a misconception that the ministry is on this side of the chairs. In other words, the ministry of worship, which Regan and Marianne do, the ministry of the teaching of the word, which I do, or those behind the pulpit do. 
and we think that that's the ministry. Keep in mind, that's not the ministry. Do you understand that we are, some of us, not all, are called into the ministry of marriage? Marriage is a ministry. The ministry of parenting. The ministry of discipleship that you would have with your friends and your co-workers. Those are ministries. Anything that God calls you to do is part of the ministry. Do you understand that even the work that you do is a ministry that God called you? Why? Because whatever you do in word or deed, do it all. Do it all. There in the name, the character of Jesus Christ, your Lord. This is his heart. And so we're moving now from the introduction of the man to the introduction of the ministry. And now what we're doing is from chapter 9 to chapter 10, we're moving to a higher plane. We're moving to the spiritual. And so what we're recognizing is that here, as Samuel has called Saul and said, listen, you're going to be the king. Now he's sending him back to his father's house. And we're going to note here initially what is going to be transpiring on the road to Gibeah. And, and this is what we begin to see. Initially, after Saul had spent the night in Samuel's house, he sends his servant ahead. And he says, hang on here, I want to announce to you the word of God. And now he's going to get an understanding, not just the calling, you're going to be the spiritual leader, but you have to understand now that this is now God speaking to you how you are going to glorify him. We call that ministry. And he says this in chapter 10, verse 1. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head. And kissed him and said, is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? And when you have departed from me today, you will find two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin. At Zelzah. And they will say to you, the donkeys which you went to look for have been found and now your father has ceased caring about the donkeys and is worrying about you saying what shall I do about my son verse 3 then you shall go on forward from there and come to the tabernacle tree in Tabor and there are men three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you one carrying three young goats another carrying three loaves of bread and another carrying a skin of wine and they'll greet you Oh, and they will give you two loaves of bread, which you shall receive from their hands. Verse 5, and after that, you shall come to the hill of God, where the Philistine garrison is, and it will happen when you have come there to the city, that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with stringed instrument, a tambourine, and a flute and a harp before them, and they will be prophesying, then the Spirit of the Lord, verse 6, will come upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. And let it be when these signs come upon you that you do as the occasion demands, for God is with you. Incredible what we're about to see here, what we're about to witness is that Saul is going to give to, or Samuel is going to give to Saul all of the advantages that he would need to succeed in the ministry of being the leader of God's people. He's going to give them every advantage. He's going to give them all the answers to the test. So you can tap into this. You can look at the answers. You can do these things. You can recognize what's about to happen. And so... What's happening now in chapter 10 is the real teaching is about to occur. And initially what we begin to recognize is, is I want you to note that with everything that's going to happen, the key is not going to be the physical things you do. The key is going to be in the spiritual. Like David recognized one thing, what? The battle is the Lord's. All glory goes to God. When I sin, I sin against God and him alone. All these things he recognizes, it's about God seeking God. It's in the spiritual. 
And I want you to understand that what Samuel is about to teach Saul is the possibilities in the spiritual are exponential. You can succeed. You can do this as long as you recognize the truth of what you're about to enter into. And so we see initially that what begins to happen is this, that Samuel is going to, by five signs represented here in our text, five, of course, being that number of grace, he's going to really give Saul this understanding. It's a spiritual ministry that you're about to enter into. Yes, you're going to be ruling God's people, but it is a spiritual recognize what's about to happen. Initially here in verse 1 of chapter 10, Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head, kissed him and said, is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? He takes oil and he pours it over his head. First thing that he does, the anointing. And I want you to understand that within the scripture, over and over again, the pouring on of oil is the symbol of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And so what Samuel is doing to Saul and literally is giving this understanding is, is I'm pouring out the Holy Spirit upon you. And as he's doing this, keep in mind that it's not in him. He's not regenerate like you and I are regenerate where the Lord said, listen, when, when you receive me, when you receive my work, my death on the cross, except me as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to give to you a down payment. The Holy Spirit is going to be in you. Now, not just with you, but in you. And that's why he breathed on his disciples to receive the Holy Spirit. We receive this inheritance. He didn't have the Holy Spirit in him, but he had the Holy Spirit upon him. And I think it's important to recognize it's not in him, but it's on him. And it's going to equip him yet for the role of the leading God's people. And as he pours on this oil, keep in mind that we've seen over and over again in the Old Testament, the spirit coming upon people. The spirit would come upon the judges like he would come upon Samson. The Spirit came upon him. The Spirit came upon him. And eventually there, there came a time where Samson in his sin didn't even recognize the Spirit had left him. But I think it's important to recognize the very first thing that we see in the understanding of this higher plane is the pouring on of the oil, the representation of the Holy Spirit. It's spiritual. Recognize that what you're about to do in the ministry is spiritual. Now, there have been in the Old Testament the pouring on on the anointing of oil, but it's always been on the priests. This is a different office. And what God is doing through Samuel is he's identifying that God says, I am going to be the one to initiate this office. I'm the one that's doing this. Yeah, you wanted a king. I should be your king. You wanted something, you know, something lesser than me. We'll give it to you. But at the same time, when he does pour on the oil, God is saying, this is an office, it's a new office, and I'm putting my stamp of approval on it. So he pours the flask of oil upon his head. And after that, he gives him a kiss. And, and, and keep in mind that as, as he gives him a kiss, that it's one of those things where it's not a lip lock. Don't think that. He just kisses him on the cheek. He kisses him on the cheek, and he recognizes that you are accepted. I've poured out the oil, the, the Holy Spirit has poured upon you, and I as the prophet, I as that the key, the, the, the one representative of God, I'm, I'm showing that you are accepted and loved. And so this is what begins to happen. And so as he does so, he makes this statement, it is not because the Lord has anointed you commander. Now understand, he says, it was God who has given you this authority. It's God who's going to equip you for this role. But understand what he says. He makes a point in this statement. It says, yes, it's the Holy Spirit that's going to be poured on you. 
I'm, God is in acceptance of you, all of these things. But what he does is this. He said, it was God who anointed you commander over. And this is the second thing that we understand about the spiritual. He says, God has anointed you commander over his inheritance. If you're a note taker, if you're an underliner, if you mark this either in your notes or in your Bible, it's his inheritance. Understand what Samuel is saying. Now, if you look at your Bible, the his should be capitalized. It should not be in small letters. It says, God has commanded, you know, anointed you commander over God's inheritance. Do you understand what Samuel is saying to Saul? You are going to be a steward the, this kingdom is not your kingdom. The children of God are God's children. It's God's inheritance and it's his. So what you are in this role, don't think that you are the big kahuna. You're not. You are simply a steward. A steward that God is going to place in this position in leadership over his people. The issue being is this, as long as you recognize that it's not your kingdom, as long as you recognize that it's not your ministry, it's a ministry that God says is mine for my glory, and I put you in charge as a steward. And this is here what Saul needs to understand. It's God's inheritance, not his kingdom. God didn't give to Saul the kingdom. It's still God's. But he gave to Saul the responsibility to lead the kingdom in a way that God would be glorified. Do you understand that this ministry is not my ministry? It's God's. And, and I'm just a steward over what God wants. And it's about leading all of us into a way that what? That glorifies God. Do you understand that even, even the marriages that we have, it's not us, we're stewards. It's, it's the marriage is a representation of, of the, the church and Christ. And God says, this is my representation. This is my ministry. You are stewards of it. Do it in a way that glorifies me. Everything that we have, the children that we have, do you understand they're God's first? And we're stewards to raise them up in a way that God says, you need to raise them up in a way that's my heart, that's, that's under the spirit, under the guiding of the leading of the word of God. This is how we do these things. And I think it's so important that whatever ministry that we have, recognize it isn't yours. You're a steward in it. You're responsible for giving God glory in it. But you're not the one that calls the shots. God has always been the one who calls the shots. And it's up to us to go to the word and say, what is it that you called me to do? How do you want me to respond in this role, in this ministry that you've given to me? What is as a worship leader, as a minister, as a husband, as a, as a, as a parent? Whatever it is, as a friend, God says, listen, I've given you this friendship, but if this ministry's mine. It's to glorify me. You're a steward of it. Accept that and then recognize that everything you're doing isn't for your benefit. It's for me. And this is the key. Understand the ministries we do first and foremost are spiritual. The second thing that we have to understand is this, that we are stewards. These ministries are for God and for God alone to be glorified. And I think it's important that what Saul has to recognize is you are going to be God's extension. This isn't you, this is God's, and you're his extension. You're God's representative. And be careful that as God's representative, that you don't misrepresent him. Moses was what? He was God's representative. He was the one, he said, surely you must understand that God sent me to be the deliverer. And he was, he was the representative. Remember, when God sent Moses to the people, he said, what, what if they don't believe me? God says, let me help you out there, Moses. Go ahead, take that rod, drop it on the ground. When he did, it became a serpent. He says, all right, now grab it by its tail. He grabbed it by its tail, it became a rod again in his hand. He said, take your hand, stick it inside your cloak, stick it in by, by, your, by your heart. What happened? It became leprous. Became leprous. Now, now stick it in again. <laughs> he puts it in again. It came out pure, clean. 
He said, and then if they, they, they doubt, he said, just take some water, pour it in the ground, it's going to become blood. I'm proving to you that I am. He was God's representative. And they knew that until a time that what? Well, there in Numbers chapter 20, Moses was going through a lot, going through a whole lot. And he got to the point where the people were complaining. They wanted some water. And God said to Moses, Moses, you know what? Speak to the rock. Now keep in mind that earlier he had to smite the rock because God wanted an understanding. He wanted a picture of the ministry of Jesus Christ. That the first time the refreshing would come, the first time the Spirit would come, you had to smite the rock. You had to literally, Jesus had to die upon the cross. He had to be smitten. Holy Spirit would come. Refreshing would come. But now after Jesus went to the cross, we don't have to crucify him again. Now we just ask for the Holy Spirit. You want the Holy Spirit? You ask for it. That's all he said. You just ask, you'll have it. And I think it's important to recognize that we don't have to continue to, to, to crucify Christ. Now we ask, but so this was this picture that God wanted Moses to speak to the rock. Oh, what a word picture it's going to be. Moses was upset. A lot of things going on in his life. And he comes now to the people complaining. goes, here now, you rebels. Must we give you water from the rock? Like, what's Moses? What power does he have? And he smites the rock again. And God in his grace allows the water to flow. God in his grace allows the people to be refreshed. But after the people are refreshed, God goes, <clears throat> Mo, <laughs> come here, son. He says, I got to be honest with you, you misrepresented me. You, 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 the people think I'm angry with them. I'm not. And what's going to happen is because you misrepresented me, your ministry is going to end. You're going to die here on this side. You won't even go into the promised land. You're, you're not going to. Joshua will take him in, but you won't. Moses accepted it. He accepted the, 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 the consequences, but it was all because what? He misrepresented God. And I think it's so important that we represent God in a way that's honest and truthful, in a way that isn't full of, of any kind of hypocrisy. And I think this is what he wants at this point what he wants Saul to understand. You are a steward. It's God's inheritance. And now in the third thing that he does, is he says this in verse 2, when you've departed from me today, you will find two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah. And they will say to you, the donkeys in which you went to look have been found, and now your father has ceased caring about the donkeys and is worrying about you, saying, what shall I do about my son? It's interesting that the first thing that he begins to, to recognize in this area is that he is supposed to go to Rachel's tomb. Now, understand what's happening. He's just on a journey from where he is. And he's going to Gilgal. And as he goes to Gilgal, Samuel is saying, you're going to stop here, you're going to stop here, you're going to stop here. And, and these events are going to transpire. So in case you have any doubts of God's calling upon your life, in case you have any doubts that God has called you to be king, I will give you proof after proof after proof after proof. And so we recognize here that initially what, what God begins to do is this, is God in a way is reminding Saul that God is the one who fixes all your problems. You got a problem? Give it to God. Why? Well, the donkeys were lost. This is why, why you know, Kish sent Saul out afterwards with the, with the servant. The donkeys were lost. And guess what? God said, don't worry, you don't have to fix it. God fixed it. The donkeys are found. You didn't have to do anything to accomplish the mission that your father gave you. God says, I took care of it. And I think it's important to recognize here that he's pointing out initially that when he comes to Rachel's tomb, that he's going to hear a word, God has already fixed the problem. Do you understand? This is the key to the spiritual of any ministry. Quit trying to fix it yourself. The arm of flesh cannot sustain you. You give it to the Lord. 
And you watch him move. You watch his spirit move. Now, now he's going to direct you in certain things, or he'll direct others in certain things, and God is going to use the, the, the natural to really be a part of the supernatural. God is going to supernaturally move people in a natural way to conclude what he needs to do. And it doesn't necessarily have to be Saul. Now, what happens is this, is there's a greater understanding because these two men that we see are going to be there, and it says this, you will find two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelza. Rachel's tomb. Now, if you are familiar with what Rachel's tomb is, I don't know how many of you are familiar with the Old Testament, with the book of Genesis, but there is a man by the name of Jacob who will eventually get the name of Israel, and he will have 12 sons. And of the 12 sons, he's going to have with him, he's going to have a, a wife that he was given by God. Her name is Leah. He wasn't satisfied with her. He always loved Rachel. But in the same way as that the, the Jacob had connived and deceived and had pretended to be the firstborn when he really wasn't, that God showed Jacob what it is to be deceived about the firstborn or the secondborn. Because when he wanted to marry the secondborn, Laban said, oh, we can't do that. And he had the firstborn pretend she was the secondborn. Just the opposite of what Jacob did. And so he gave, God gave to Jacob Leah. But Jacob loved Rachel. And so eventually he served and he got Rachel as well. And then he got their, their, their maids as well. And through all of these four women, he had 12 sons. One daughter, but 12 sons. And these 12 sons would become the 12 tribes of Israel. I want you to understand what Rachel's tomb is. You know that Saul is a Benjamite, correct? We all understand that. When Rachel was coming into the promised land and Benjamin was the only one of the 12 tribes, was the only son that was actually born in the promised land. All the other was not. They were born over off at Uncle Laban's. Benjamin was the only one of the 12 that was born in the promised land. However, remember that passage in Genesis chapter 35? And it makes that statement when they go from Bethel and they're coming in that eventually Rachel begins to labor with her second child. She's already had one Joseph and now she's about to have another child. And what happens is this, that while she's in labor, we recognize it was a hard labor, and I don't know if you know this, but she dies in labor. Benjamin was the cause of his mother's death. Now, when she's in hard labor and they recognize, hey, don't worry, you're going to have another son, what she does is this, verse 18 in Genesis 35, and so it was as her soul was departing, for she died, that she called his name Ben-Ani, but his father called him Benjamin. His name, as his mother gave it to him, was, you are the son of my sorrow. And <laughs> father changed the name. Oh, no, you're not. Oh, no, no we're changing that name right now. Mother's not going to disagree with this one at all now. She, she's already gone. I'm changing the name. But you have to understand that this, in this one point that recognizes, here is this tomb that shows that there was only one of the sons of Israel that was born in the promised land. It was Benjamin. Should he, because he was physically in the land, be the one to physically be the inheritor of the land, be the king over all the other tribes because he was born in the land? Well, that's the physical, but then you have what? Then you have the spiritual. 
Remember that God had, had, had made a statement back when, when Israel was perishing. He was about to die, and he gave this prophecy all of a sudden. He says, but the, the scepter, the authority, the kingdom shall not depart Judah. Not depart Judah. But yet Benjamin here has it initially. And I think it's important as we, we recognize what this Rachel's tomb is, it's the beginning, it's the birth of Benjamin, but it's the death of his mother. And I think it's important to, to see here that there was this point where he should have been the son of sorrow, but his name has changed. You're no longer that. That's not who you're going to be. And so as we come into this area, I want you to see that what begins to happen is that the first thing he does is he comes face to face with, wow, your history, face to face with your past, face to face with your future, face to face with this representative of everything that can point to you into your life. We're going to go to the tomb of the woman who died in labor, giving birth to Benjamin, of which tribe you're a part of. But then when you're here, you're going to hear this amazing thing that it's, it's, it's one of those things where, hey, don't worry, God's already fixed your problem. I don't care what problem you have, God's already fixing it. There's no problem so big that God's not going to already move and to, to deal with it and to fix it. And the second thing that we see is this, or it's, it's the fourth of the signs, but as far as you're the kingdom, but then we see this. Verse 3 says, Then you shall go on forward from there and come to the tebranth tree of Tabor, and there three men are going up to God at Bethel, and they will meet you, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, another carrying a skin of wine. And they'll greet you, and they'll give you two loaves of bread, which you shall receive from their hands. And now we see the next sign that Samuel so shows Saul. We see here three men on their way to worship God. Spiritual. It's all about worship. And as they come up to do this, then they, he sees the men. The men have three goats. The men have three loaves. The men have three skins of wine. And two of those loaves... Two of those loaves are given to Saul. And I love that because not only does he say that God's going to deal with all your problems, donkeys are already found, he also says what? God's going to provide all your needs. You've got to understand these are truths that are unmistakable. God's already got the problems fixed. God has already got your needs understood. But when it comes to this, I do want you to recognize that these men were on their way to worship God and Saul is going to receive these two loaves. Now, as these loaves are offered to him, he's going to take them. But I want you to recognize that the provision that he receives was intended for God. The provision that he gets was initially part of this worship that was going to God. And he's going to receive these two, these two loaves. And so what happens is this, that what was going to be for the Lord is now going to be that which sustains Saul as he continues on his journey. And, and Saul is going to use what should have been God's himself to say, wow, now I can be a part of this. I'm going to accept what God has given to me. I'm going to accept this, which should be God's alone. And that's, I think, where, the, where a little bit of the understanding of Saul's mentality comes to. Because if it was for God alone, what should he say? Sorry, it's for God alone. There was another king that was offered bread in a way. Jesus Christ. There in Matthew chapter 4. The enemy would come and the enemy would seek to deceive and the enemy would come and know that he was hungry. And after he'd fasted 40 days and 40 nights, the, the tempter would come and say, if you're the son of God, better translated, since you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. You're hungry, you need a provision. Hey, you know what? Just do it. It's okay for you. You need it. But he answered, he said, what? Man shall not live by bread alone. 
for every, every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It's important that it's not just about the bread. And, and Jesus recognized it was about the word. I need to be filled spiritually. And amazingly, with all this understanding, we do see an aspect of Saul ahead of time. The aspect is this. He's still carnal. He still wants it. It's all about the flesh still. I know about the spirit. I'm learning about the spirit, but it is still about my flesh. And he makes this statement. These guys are going to greet you, receive from their hands. And then in verse 5, we see the, 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 the fifth thing is this. He said, after you've come to the hill of God where the Philistine garrison is, and it will happen when you've come there to the city that you'll meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with stringed instruments, a tambourine, a flute, a harp before them, and they'll be prophesying. And the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, and you will prophesy with them, and you'll be turned into another man. Let it be when these signs come upon you that you do as the occasion demands, for God is with you. So each and every sign that he has, and this last one we see, is that you'll, God says, I will give to you my spirit. And, and I will give to you and equip you to everything that needs to be done. Now I do want you to recognize one thing, where these men were worshipers of God. And as they, they, they come, there are a group of prophets. Prophets at this time would normally be young men. They would be coming, they'd be worshiping God, and so they would be, in a sense, prophets in training in a way. But they would come from the high place, and then you're going to join them. They're going to be prophesying. They're going to speak forth the words of God, and you're going to join them in this time. And the Spirit will come upon you, and you will prophesy with them, and you will be turned into another man. Now, when he's turned into another man, there are many people who say, at this point, Saul is regenerate. Well, keep in mind that it doesn't necessarily mean that. There are multiple commentators, good men of God. And they make a point to say this, that Saul was a shepherd, if you will. He kept the, the donkeys, he kept the things, he was the, the son of his father. And God was going to change him into another man. He was going to move him from being a shepherd into being a leader. That's another man. So just because it, it says here he's turned into another man, it doesn't mean spiritual man. So grasp that. He's turned into a leader. He's given a word from God. And so at this point, these men are instructing him. Here's the king. Here's what he does. And, and Saul is learning from this. And it will be, verse 7, when these signs come to you, that you will do as the occasion demands, for God is with you. And I love this. God's here. He's, he's got you. And you shall go down before me, verse 8, to Gilgal, and surely I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and to make sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait till I come to you and show you what you should do. And so he lets him know, you need to go, continue on the journey, and after seven days I will come. And these things are going to be happening as you go back to your home at, at, at Gilgal. So, or, or Gibeah. And so as he goes... He says, now you're going to go down to Gilgal, and I'm going to come down to you, and I'm going to offer these burnt offerings. And verse 9 says this, So it was when he had turned his back to go from Samuel that God gave him another heart, and all those signs came to pass that day. So he met two men at Rachel's tomb. Now he didn't meet one man. He met two men. Now, it could have been, and, and I believe this is true, he could have met three men. If he met three men, is the word still true? The answer is yes, it is. He met two men, and there's another one, but there was two men. See, one, it's a false prophecy. Two, it's a true prophecy. Three, it's still a true prophecy. 
Understand, and this is amazing to me, that God's word will always be as he said it is, but not necessarily always the way we expect it to be. See, keep in mind that he said, you're going to meet two men. Well, the three men are coming and they say, hey, listen, don't worry about it. The donkeys are found. Then it's still a true prophecy. But if one man was there, it's not. Or if two men or three men or four men, they come and they don't say anything about the donkeys, guess what? It's not true. Do you understand? It has to happen exactly as Samuel declares, but but not exactly as Saul has it pictured in his mind, but exactly as God declares it will be. And so as we see this, this is what he says. And so he meets those men at Rachel's tomb. They tell him about the donkeys. He goes forward. He meets three men at the temperance tree at Tabor. And, and they, they have these sacrifices. And they give to him two loaves. And I think it's important to recognize it here. Now he's seeing these things come to pass. And then he comes up and these prophets are there. He joins them. He begins to prophesy. He begins to speak forth the word of God. And he begins to change. God is calling him into the leader that he's calling him to be. And now what happens is this. Of course, verse 9, I want to read again. So it was when he turned his back to go from Samuel, God gave him another heart, and all those signs came to pass that day. And when they come there to the hill, there was a group of prophets to meet him. The Spirit of God came upon him, and he prophesied among them. Keep in mind, the Spirit of God came upon him. And it's important to note that it is important to recognize that the Spirit of God does come upon people. And remember, we've noted this before, that when Samson was there, the Spirit of God would come upon him and he'd do a mighty work. The Spirit of God would come upon him. But in Judges 16, verse 20, eventually when he allows his hair to be cut, he awakes and says, I'm going to go out as other times. I'm going to do these mighty works. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. See, the Spirit could be upon and still leave. And he does have the Spirit. The Spirit is upon him. Like we as believers, the Spirit is in us, but we could have the Spirit to be upon us, the baptism of the Spirit, even a greater working of the Spirit. And I think it's important to see here that what happens is that he is there. He's among the the prophets. He's prophesying with them. He's declaring the word of the Lord. And verse 11, it happened when all who knew him formerly saw that he indeed prophesied among the prophets that the people said to one another, what is this that has come upon the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? Now, I want you to note what God is doing. God has given to Saul a calling. And now what's happened is this. Other people are seeing the calling. God is moving Saul up and up and up as we looked at the last chapter. He went up here and he went up there and he went up there. He keeps going up. And as he's doing this now, people are aware of the calling that is happening on Saul's life. And note this, this is how you know when God is calling you to a ministry. Why? Other people will bear witness. I know too many men who just simply say, God's called me to this and and I'm going to do this because I know he's done it. And yet, amazingly, no one else around bears witness to his calling. But here others do. And when others are bearing witness, then you recognize it's of God. And so they, they ask this question. They're bearing witness is Saul also among the prophets. Then verse 12 says, Then a man from there answered and said, But who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb, Is Saul also among the, proverb, the prophets? And when he had finished prophesying, he went to the high place. So he goes to the place where they were. And Saul's uncle, verse 14, said to him and to his servant, where did you go? His uncle now comes and he's asking, where did you go? And he said, to look for the donkeys. And when we saw they were nowhere to be found, we went to Samuel. He said, where have you been? Well, we went to look for the donkeys. We didn't find them. We went to Samuel. I love the fact that he doesn't say, it was my servant's idea. (laughs) 
He said, it's just what happened. We, we went to Samuel. He doesn't say whose idea it was. He just, this is where we went. And then his uncle, verse 15, Saul's uncle said, tell me, please, what Samuel said to you. Wow, here's an opportunity. Tell me, please, what's going on in your life? And amazingly, verse 16, Saul said to his uncle, he told us plainly the donkeys had been found. But about the manner of the kingdom, he did not tell him what Samuel had said. I find this intriguing that at this point we see that Saul's life has been transformed. He's now prophesying. He's moving in that way. And he's been called into the kingdom. We recognize that God has now put a calling upon his life. And Saul does not share it. I find this interesting. He doesn't say, well, God is doing a work. God's calling me to this. He doesn't share what God is doing in his life. And I find that interesting that, that one, he doesn't share. Listen, God sees me as a bigger part of his kingdom than simply a locator of livestock like my father who sent me with a servant to find some donkeys. God sees me as a leader of his children and he's going to use me, but he doesn't do that. And, and, and it's interesting that the question is, is, does he still believe it? I mean, all these things have come to pass. You should have a grasp on it, but he doesn't share it. And I don't know if he doesn't share it because there's enough doubt to say, what if it doesn't come to pass? Well, what if it doesn't happen? What do I do then? It's an amazing thing that when you have faith, you do not need sight. If God has said something, you walk forward in that belief. If God has proved it over and over again through the fulfilling of his word, you walk forward in full belief. I love it when Peter and John, there in the book of Acts, were going to the temple as they did, that they saw the man there lame, who'd been lame from birth. And they look at him. He's expecting something from them. They, they yeah, look at me. Look at me. Expect something from me. But not what you think. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, stand up and walk. Grabs him by the hand, lifts him up. Immediately, his ankle bones receive strength. He's running. He's leaping. He's praising God. You understand that if they had any doubt that, man, if I lift up this guy, he falls back down, I look pretty pathetic. What should we do? You do what God calls you to do. But Saul here does not, Samuel, Saul does not share what Samuel has declared. And so he doesn't tell him anything that Samuel said. Well, verse 17, look at what begins to happen. Samuel now calls the people together to the Lord at Mizpah. And he said to the children of Israel, thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt. I delivered, um, thus says let me read that again, verse 18. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt and delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms and from those who oppress you. But you have today rejected your God who himself saved you from all your adversities and your tribulations and you have said to him no set a king over us we want a king and and this is what they want they didn't want god they wanted a king first samuel chapter 12 verse 13 here is the king whom you have chosen and whom you have desired and take note the lord has set a king over you and this is what Saul is doing. He says, you, you said, set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your clans. And Samuel caused all the tribes of Israel to come near, and the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. So all the tribes are there. All the families are there. And so eventually what happens is that through either the, the Urim and the Thummim or through a word of God, eventually it comes to Benjamin. Benjamin is chosen. And so as we see this, he caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near by their families. And the family of Matri was chosen. So all the families of Matri, then Saul, the son of Kish, was chosen. And when they sought him, he could not be found. Now I find this interesting 
that what Samuel had said is, listen, get ready. In seven days, I'm coming. And so everyone's gathered because there's going to be a king. Samuel goes through all the things that God had shown him, and eventually he comes and says, yes, and now Saul, the son of Kish, he needs to come forward. But when they sought him, he could not be found. Therefore, they inquired of the Lord further. Has the man come here yet? Is Saul even around? And the Lord answered, there he is among the equipment. He's off with the stuff. He's he's just kind of put himself off to the side. And so verse 23, they ran and they brought him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulder and upward. And Samuel said to the people, do you see him? whom the Lord has chosen, and there is none like him among all the people. So all the people shouted and said, Long live the king. I want you to understand that Saul here doesn't step up into the role. He stays back. And keep in mind, if God has called you into a role to stay back as sin, you need to step forward in what he's called you to do. And amazing what begins to happen is this. That as he's called to be that king, as he's hiding among the equipment, eventually what happens is they get him. And when he comes, all of the Israelites are apparently shorter. And Saul is a man of great stature. He's head and shoulders above everybody else, a beautiful man. In other words, if you took a poll in Hollywood And you said, what should the ideal king look like? There would be a picture of Saul. That's what it would have been. And that's why we see here, back in that that text again in 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13, he says, here is the king whom you have chosen. This is what you wanted him to look like. This is what you wanted him to represent. This is the king that you desired. And that's what happens. This is the king that they wanted. Now keep in mind, I'm going to take you to the next chapter for just a moment. We've read this verse again and again in chapter 12. Now I want to take you to chapter 13. I want to read you from verse 14. In verse 14, this is where Saul goes and he doesn't wait on Samuel. He thinks, I should offer the sacrifice. It's Samuel's fault. It's the people's fault. It's the Philistines' fault. It's not my fault that I have to offer the sacrifice, but I have to do it. And and Samuel comes and says, what have you done? What you've done, you've done foolishly. And then he says this, verse 14, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. I want you to understand what happens here. We saw the man, we saw his ministry, but this is how the people want it to look. And I'll tell you what, man looks at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. Don't don't look at how it may look to the world, don't look to how it may perceive to them. How does it look to God? What does God desire? Now, the people wanted a king, and God says, that's fine. I will give you the king that you want. And so eventually, they, Samuel comes to the people in verse 24, and he makes that statement. Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen, that there is none like him among all the people? So all the people shouted and said, long live the king. This is the one we want. He's our guy. Well, Samuel explained to the people the behavior of royalty, wrote it in a book, laid it up before the Lord, and Samuel sent all the people away, everyone to his house. And Saul also went home to Gibeah, and valiant men went with him, whose hearts God has touched. So now he has protectors. He has defenders. He has the beginning of those who will serve him in his kingdom. Not only does God raise up Saul, but he raises up those who are going to assist Saul. Do you understand? No man does the ministry of his own. Jesus Christ was God who came in the flesh. And what did he do? He came and he chose 12 disciples. Guys, 
you're going to be doing the work. Remember when Jesus went and baptized, said what? Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples did. This was the ministry. And I want you to recognize that God now brings people who will be there to assist him. But here's the truth to every ministry. There are those, look at verse 26 again, valiant men with, with, went with him whose hearts God has touched. But some of the rebels said, how can this man save us? So they despised him and they brought him no presence, but he held his peace. When there is this calling of God into a ministry and you recognize that it's spiritual, God is going to bring others along to assist you in that ministry. And there are going to be people that God chooses. But there is going to be opposition. When you have a ministry, there's going to be opposition. And you can do one of two things. You can look to those that God has chosen, or you can look to those that are against you. So often in the ministry, you always, oh, but he's against me, and this is against me. No, go to those that God has raised up. Go to those that, that recognize that, that God has touched them. Do you understand? It says to those who went with him, God touched them. It doesn't say God touched the rebels. They weren't there with God. And God is giving to Saul every opportunity to recognize what? Last week we dealt with the man and his introduction to the man. Now we deal with the ministry. Last week everything was on the physical. This week's everything on the spiritual. If you want success in whatever ministry that God has given to you, understand this. It is in the spiritual. It's in the spiritual that we rule and we reign. It's in the spiritual that there is victory or there is defeat. It's always in, it may look like it on the plane, but it's always in the spiritual. Remember Exodus chapter 17? There, the, the Malachites were coming against Israel. And as they were coming against them, what happened? That God had told Moses, send Joshua out to do battle. Joshua is going to do battle. And what's going to happen, Moses, you're going to take Aaron and her. You're going to go up to the hill. You're going to overlook it, and you're going to intercede. And as long as Moses had his hands raised with the rod, as long as the hands were raised and he was interceding, Joshua had a victory. But when his hands were tired, guess what? Joshua began to lose. And eventually what happens is Aaron and her puts a stone down, sits Moses on the stone, and they begin to hold up Moses' hands. Moses is not on his own on this anymore. And as they hold up Moses' hands, his hands do not go down. Joshua has a great victory. And then God tells Moses this, write down these events and recount it in the hearing of Joshua. Why? Joshua has to know that the battle is the Lord's. Why? Because he's going to go and conquer the promised land. And what has to happen? The battle has to be the Lord's. The battle has to be won in the spiritual. How do we know? Remember Achan, after God had destroyed Jericho, what does he do? He takes of the accursed things. And they go against this punk little podunk town called Ai. It's so big it can't even have three letters in its name. And they go against this town and they get their clock cleaned. Why? Well, Joshua cries out, Lord, Lord, what happened? Listen, you guys have sinned. Do you understand? You've sinned. Deal with the sin. Fix the spiritual. Again, you'll have a victory. Understand, saints, understand. You want victory in your ministries? Know they are spiritual. Know that you are spiritual. And know that your victory is going to be in the spiritual May we recognize that in all ministries, there is a higher plane. And if that isn't set in order, guess what? The physical plane will not be. May we take that into our ministries and recognize, God, you've proven it and proven it and proven it. Pour out your spirit. Anoint us. Equip us with your word. Let your word be fulfilled again and again and again to increase our faith that we may walk faithfully in the ministry that you've called us, that we may proclaim to others when they ask, what is it that you're doing? And we can tell them we're glorifying our Lord Jesus Christ. We're doing the thing that he called us to do. May we be those vessels. Amen. Amen. Father, we are so grateful for this word in your heart. Lord, what an amazing thing that after we spent so much time looking at the man, now we look at the ministry and now it makes sense. 
It makes sense, Lord, what it is that you're doing in his life and how you're giving him every opportunity to succeed. And Father, you've done that with us. You've given to us, your children, every opportunity to succeed. And we'll either walk it or we won't. We'll either do it or we won't. But Father, we're asking that you would just fill us with your spirit, equip us with your word and the proof that that you've called us into these things, and then let us walk under the leading, the guiding, the anointing, the empowering of your spirit that we may glorify you, knowing, Lord, that any ministry that you put into our hands is still yours. It's for your glory alone, and we're stewards of it. So help us become stewards that do these things in such a way that, that honors you and glorifies you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.